0: It's time for another Pinball Profile. I'm your host, Jeff Teols. You can find our group on Facebook. We're also on Twitter at Pinball Profile. Emails pinballprofile at gmail.com. Please subscribe on your favorite podcatcher and check us out on Instagram at Pinball Profile. This is going to be fun for episode 250. We did it for episode 150. Let's do it again. Find out an update from Kaylee George, who joins us right now. Hey, Kaylee, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Or should I call you Kyle as they do it? Maybe the post office and you just roll with it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, usually people pronounce my name Kyle or something or Kylie. I don't know, cracks me up.
0: Well, Kaylee, Jorge, I'm glad to have you on here. It's going to be a lot of fun because the last time you were on here, we were certainly talking about exploits. And before we get to that, Boy, it's been a pretty good year for you. I know at one point you were the number one player in the world back in 2017, but you've creeped back up into the top 10. Well, you've been there a lot, but what an Indisc performance you had with some major scores there, a win in classics, a second in the other classics, and just overall great high stakes and the main open. You love that tournament, don't you? Yeah, Indisc was awesome. I... First started
1: playing that back when it was at a different location and a bit smaller event. Uh, whenever I had the opportunity each year to go, and, and it was great. And the organizers, you know, which kind of started with Carl D'Angelo and Jim Belsito, you know, I mean that's expanded into a bunch of people now that are obviously running that. But you know, those guys are great competitive players, so they I think they understand what you know the good competitive players want out of a tournament and they understand how to set up games and the risk and reward of choices there and all sorts of great stuff and they like to pick the right formats and all those things so even just from a conceptual level it's a great tournament and then they really execute so it's really fun to go to that because i think it really provides a good platform for the best competitive pinball
0: you said they picked the right formats they're big believer in the old papa ticket format in which you have to play in the open five games all on one card hopefully you don't have a bad one and then that will determine if you make the open playoffs or not. The ticket, I've said it before, I'll say it again: the hardest format, but the one that really benefits the better, more consistent players. And it showed with all your great finishes there at Indisc.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think that's one of the the best most, and also most (laughs) most grueling qualifying formats, it's super tough. I mean, you can obviously have a really good game and then a really bad game and then bust your whole ticket. You know, for people that don't know, I mean, the qualifying format there is about stringing five good games together in one grouping, and those kind of stand as one entry into the tournament. And
0: if you don't do well enough with that, well, you got to go back and you got to try a new set of five that stand alone all on their own. And hope that you can get all five games in because you also have the element of going into queue and these queues get longer and longer at certain tournaments. That's true. I mean,
1: luckily for the for the main event there, that's I mean, somebody should probably be able to play all the main open qualifying entries they want. It gets a bit more hairy for classics. And I'm not sure that that format works so great there with the limited time and single day tournaments going on there. But uh, it's still a great format to decide who's you know, can play good pinball at a consistent level versus who can have one good game here and there.
0: It's funny because my first game on the ticket that actually got me into the playoffs was terrible. And I thought, I should probably start over again. I know it's the first one, but this is really bad. Definite bleeder, which means every time somebody plays that game, I'm going to lose a point because they're definitely going to beat my score. (laughs) And I kept it and I thought, oh, let's just see how I do in the next one. Blew up the next game. I'm like, all right, well, let's see. And it was enough just to squeak in. And I say squeak in, I think the top 40 made the playoffs. I was definitely high 30s. <laughs> and I had, a, I had a game on there, Rescue 911, which we saw a lot of people quickly blow up. You know, you avoided doing certain modes. You just kind of shot up the right ramp and uh, rinse and repeat while you're cradling up. I saw Keith Elwin do it, and then everyone started to do it. But that was one of my worst scores on my ticket that counted. So I was like, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to go back with another ticket and play that game, and hopefully do very well on it because every if I play it it's not going to affect my score cuz I'm going to avoid the ticket and hopefully I'll just make it when the qualifying stops well I played I think Zach Sharp was next and then Jack Tabman and the three of us on that one game played for a combined almost 2 hours that sounds about right <laughs> so that helped me because that's 2 hours of people not attacking this score of mine so there's some real neat strategies, too, when it comes to the tickets.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you'll see a lot of a lot of uh, experienced players, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll play a bit uh, until they get a ticket that they think, you know, might be good enough to qualify. And that's kind of like a learned skill, you know, like, well, what is good enough to qualify? And you might be on Thursday and qualify and go through Saturday. So, you know, playing these types of tournaments and, and qualifying formats, you kind of get a good sixth sense for, you know, what's a good score now and how good is that score three days from now? How does that stack up with the rest of the tickets or rest of games in my ticket players are at this event, how many qualifying spots are there, things like that. And so people usually play until they have a ticket that they think is, you know, probably good enough to qualify. And then they might still want to play a little bit more to either boost their qualifying position or hopefully get something better and guarantee their qualifying spot. And they'll often make different game choices there to protect their good ticket. You know, you have over ten games in a bank, you only need to play five on a card. Well if you have Five good games on this one ticket. You can start playing five different games on other tickets because all those scores count against each other. You know, you might get first on one ticket with a bunch of other bad games. Well, that score there, I was eating first place versus anything else you're playing. So uh, there's some interesting decision making there.
0: Plus it's also practice too, in case you have to play those in playoffs. My favorite thing about Indisc, there were a lot of things I loved about it, but it was young Jared August who did very, very well at Expo. And here he is coming to California first time, he plays his first ticket. I think the first game he played might've been Indy 500, a game you own and love. And he blew it up and and he told me that he got maybe one of the highest scores on there and I said, oh, you did really well. He goes, yeah, I've got that game at home. Mine plays a lot harder. So then he played the rest of the games and I think he qualified like third or fourth. That's how great his one ticket was. (laughs) Sure. That's not a walk-off shot many of us can say we've done, but that's what Jared August did. And it just made me think of when he talked about my games were set up harder. And somebody once told me about your games, and I don't know if this is true, so you're on the program right now, let's ask. You have your games, I assume, set up very difficult. Somebody said even two balls or something like that?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure if I have any set up right now like that. but yeah, uh, Often I'll put some of my games on two ball. Just one, to kind of like shorten the game times, but two, it's kind of fun if you've been used to a game that's set on two-ball. It helps you constrain your strategy on a certain game. So if you only have two balls, like sometimes you're thinking about strategy and a certain score target on a game, and you're kind of thinking about that context with like the three bullets you have to spend to get there, you know, the three different balls it's going to take. When you narrow that down and take one of those away and you're at two-ball, you start seeing different parts of the strategy to get different scores and that can really help when you're in competition and you have like a house ball ball one. Uh, it's not so much that like, oh, I don't care that I got a house ball. It's more just like, okay, that doesn't necessarily impact the scoring strategy that I have or it doesn't necessarily feel different or insurmountable to come back and reach certain score targets. Yeah, so that can be really great. And and setting games apart, I think, is uh, really beneficial as well. The old Papa tournaments uh, for a few years there went pretty apesh, you know, setting up their games incredibly difficult to the extent that it was kind of egregious and not necessarily even competitive at times in their qualifying setups. But, you know, that forced a lot of players, competitive players, to go home and set their games up uh, extremely hard. We're talking about like pulling out line posts, swapping flippers for shorter flippers, really tight tilts, really steep play fields, really hard rules installs. Um, once you start playing on games like that at home, you know, I mean, I, I can go up to any Attack from Mars at any tournament pretty much. And play it, and I am just like, wow, this plays easier. <laughs> because of how you're used yeah, to. Yeah, or any game that I own, you know, it's like, it's like, oh, well, I've played the hardest game, X. There's no way this one is any worse than that. So, like, when you're talking about, like, game choices, you know, you're thinking about, like, oh, do I want to pick this or that in a finals or this or that in a qualifying? Like, well, if you play the hard version of something, the very hard version of something, it's pretty rare that something you're going to come across in the wild is any harder than that. And if you're comfortable on the hard one, then you're good to go. <laughs>
0: It's funny because I see newer players go to a tournament and they do very well in their leagues, let's say, or maybe on their home machines. And they go to a tournament where there are difficult setups and they're just cursing the games or not even so much their own play, but they haven't realized the games have been altered. Rubbers off, ball saves removed center posts, all of those type of things. I remember going to (laughs) ECS last year and playing Batman. I thought, okay, (laughs) I can put up a decent score. And this is, it's not a ticket, but you had to put up 10 good scores. So really it is like a ticket, right? Because you had to play 10 different games. For sure. Batman 66. See if you can beat this at home. 2 million. (laughs) That's what I put up because they removed out lanes on, I think every ball went into an out lane immediately. You had tight slings too. Never saw a multi-ball, never saw a TV mode. Might have got lucky with one ramp. Who knows? I don't even know how I got 2 million. Probably missed some skill shots too, but it was that bad. And I was like, that just really destroyed my game. But you got to get used to things. That might have been a little bit of overkill when it came to making the machine difficult, but you got to get used to it at these tournaments.
1: Yeah. And, you know, a lot of players will come up to a game that's set up difficult like that. And, you know, yeah, most players, even experienced ones, they'll play a game like they're used to playing it at first. You know, you might be used to taking a certain skill shot or plunging a certain way, and then you kind of have your, like, rollout, you know, or what's your initial gambit for that game. And then the game's set up different or set up very hard or something like that, and you get completely destroyed. Well, you can't look at that and say, okay, this game sucks or is set up terrible or whatever. You have to look at it like, oh, it's set up this way. What strategies do I have to play it different? You know, on Batman 66, that might be, oh, maybe you normally plunge to the pops for whatever reason. You know, maybe you start plunging super skill shots and loop past the ball into a cradle on the right or live trap it or something like that. And depending on which feeds are doing what, you know, you're maybe you're deciding that the only risky shot you're going to take is to start your major villain or something. You know, so you shoot Catwoman ramps and then the first out of control shot is up the middle to start that, you know, and you're going to be very calculated about when you start that TV mode off those right targets. You know, because that's going to send the ball out of control every time.
0: You know, and there's certain players that might just be used to just, like, plunging away, shooting TV targets, and and that's it. It's funny because I have a game at home, ACDC, and when I play at home, I'm always going for Encore, which... When I play ACDC in a league or in a tournament or a pump and dump, I forget how to play the proper way because I'm used to doing what I'm doing at home and that might not be the best strategy. (laughs) So you really have to know the formats that you're in. Like a case in point, Escher, who just won Pinmasters on Star Wars when he got the hole in one to win it, he took the Leia strat. Now, if he's at a pump and dump, I don't know if he'll do that strategy. He'll probably do R2-D2, I would assume. But because he had a target score of getting 250 million and trying to do that in one ball, which he did, Leia Strat was the best way to do that. So you really have to know the format of the tournament, the game setup, and really, is it match play? Is it a pump and dump? Because those are different attack modes for you as a player when it comes to playing that game. Absolutely, yeah,
1: and, and that's that's critical. And <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Leia thing in Star Wars is hilarious because for people that don't know, you know, you pick a different character up front in that game, and then. They alter kind of which state of the game is kind of pre-completed in terms of the different modes of Hoth and Endor and and Death Star and things like that, which modes are available. And there's also some, like, obfuscated background scoring crap going on that is completely not transparent to the player at all, but exists. And one of the things with choosing Leia is that shots to light modes, not necessarily within the modes, the shots to light them are actually increased in value substantially. So in that game where, you know, head-to-head or in match play, you might, you know, a billion points might be a really good score, but, you know, getting a couple hundred million is, is, is pretty solid. You know, and you pick Leia and you just light three different modes, you're at about 250 million. Uh, and that's not even playing him. So it's only about nine shots. So it's something like pin golf, uh, that's a great strategy or even head-to-head play.
0: You are the kind of guy I assume if I were going around Seattle, I would see your high score, your GCs on many different games. But when you're playing something like Pinberg and you've done very well there before as well, that's a match play Type tournament. So, what are your strategies on those? I guess it really depends on the games, but you're probably not going for GCs. You're probably looking for some quick points, some safe points too, to not take a zero in that game. What do you do, Kaylee?
1: Yeah. So, in a tur- uh, tournament like Pinberg, yeah, you're really trying to protect your position in the tournament and play well at all times. And you're trying to avoid playing poorly. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going for GCs or destroying every single game you play. And so it's actually somewhat similar to the Papa card qualifying format, where
0: you want to show consistency and not a lot of variability. So if you're player four and you're on ball three, and right now you're currently sitting in last, but the next objective to get one point is to beat that person in third place. But you know, you know, with a couple of risky shots, I can take first. What's going through your head at that point? You do those things in order.
1: You first, you you gain ground a little bit at a time. First, you take third. Then you take second. Then you go for first. You don't try and go for first right away.
0: Okay, that's good to know. So you
1: think about like a game like Attack from Mars, you know, we roll up on that on Pinburg, let's say it's an attack I've never played before. You know, regardless of what the other players do, because there's basically nothing I'm gonna see on that game that changes the way I play. I'm thinking at minimum I wanna get a lock on every single ball. That means by the time I get to ball three, I'll lock ball three, I'll start a multi ball, and in multi ball anything can happen. Like I could roll through five supers and blow the game up. I would definitely have the opportunity to probably take Third, second, or first at any time in that multi-ball by just playing better, and that just opens the game up for a lot of scoring opportunity.
0: Progress for total annihilation.
1: Yeah, and uh, total annihilation's dead to me. So <laughs> really, <laughs> get thrown out the window. Yeah, why, 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 would I want to shoot four different shots when I can just shoot one all day? I don't know. Okay, yeah, like 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 total annihilation. You are hunting to dial in essentially every shot on the playfield in single ball play before you get to a multi-ball. Regular multi-ball on attack you're hunting for one single shot repetitively uh, in single ball play. And then once you start multi-ball, you hunt for the other ones. So uh, in terms of walking up to a game cold, it's much nicer to dial in on one thing, get consistent on that. And then while you have less risk and you have more balls in play, then do the exploration of finding the other shots in the play field.
0: If I can ask you a question, when you have ball save on Attack from Mars, which depending on the tournament, you probably won't if it's a higher end tournament. But if you're going for the super skill shot, are you going for that barrier three or the right ramp, which completes all of those difficult shots. I'm curious.
1: Uh, definitely going for the force field on the saucer. There's a lot of value in having that force field down. The first time you get into a multi-ball would be when I'm starting to shoot at the saucer. One, you're going to get good points out of saucer one during that multi-ball. Two, you have an opportunity to lock a ball behind there for dirty pool, which means you could yep. potentially be playing a multi-ball and single-ball play. Three, you know, uh, going back to what I was saying earlier about kind of like progressively adjusting your goals in match play like that. My first goal might be to get to multi-ball, and then depending on the other player's scores, it might be to get to another mm-hmm. multi-ball. And then another multiball, and I'm kind of progressively trying to get towards first place or something like that in that tournament. But at some point, you know, there's going to be times in Attack from Mars when you're hitting some of those other shots. It's not like, I'm, I'm not good enough to only ever shoot the lock. I wish I was. <laughs> uh, but, you know, at some point, you might only have a couple shots left to Total Annihilation. And at that point, then the risk reward totally flips. Okay, like, then it's like, well, I've got six shots to start a multiball but I've got three shots to start Total Annihilation. I've already played a bunch of multiballs. I've felt out all the shots in the playfield. I'm going to go ahead and try and complete Total and play that. Less shots, I know where they're all at. At that point, you definitely want to try and pick it up with the highest hurry-up value to start that mode. Uh, and if you've deleted the right ramp from that, then your possibility of getting a billion payoff on starting Total Annihilation is gone. So you're kind of pulling points out of the long game by completing that right ramp. And also, it's kind of dead to me until way deep in the game anyways. So I don't really think about it until then.
0: Makes sense. That's good. Speaking of AFM, what do you think of the 2020 version, Stranger Things? <laughs> Is that what we're calling Stranger
1: Things? I think that's like an insult to Attack from Mars. <laughs> Stranger Things. There's a
0: lot of similarities there. No question about it. Certainly same designer too. two. A lot of the same layouts. But uh, your thoughts on Stranger Things, Stranger Things
1: is, you know, there there was like one of Stern's like dark periods was when they like released like NBA coming into like Avatar, things like that, you know, it's like, I don't know the real details, but, you know, people were like, oh, like, is Stern going to survive? You know, the downturn's got these types of problems. You know, they're not selling a lot of games. They're having to pump out games that are simpler, stuff like that. <laughs> it's funny that Stern's gone through like a boom now. And my understanding is that they're doing very well. And then they released like a donkey, like Stranger Things, which is like one of the least inspired play fields I've seen in a long time. And it doesn't feel good or shoot well. And the rules are terrible. And the main toy in the game is also a big donkey. Like, how did that leave the factory? Like, every single Stranger Things out there, it's almost impossible to shoot the ball into the little hole on the Demogorgon.
0: Kaylee, what do you really think? But I I, I don't
1: know. It's like, it's as if somebody was asked to make a game, and then... They said, "Okay, great. The best way to make this is to send you off and put you in a little box off to the side and you're not going to interact with anybody and nobody's going to give you feedback and you're just going to make something and then you're going to come back to manufacturing with revision 0.1 and we're going to build that." Like <laughs> there's so much stuff on that game where it just seems like if did anybody even play it before they made it because <laughs> like everybody who's played it like 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 says the same stuff. I don't see how they didn't didn't hear that internally it's it's really weird i don't understand it so
0: yeah do not like i'll just remind everybody as i do on every single pinball profile this is a chance for my guests to offer their opinions i don't always agree or disagree <laughs> with anybody i just let people i believe in freedom of speech so kaylee this is your floor let's dig into something interesting on stranger things real quick okay
1: so where the codes at now i've played through the whole game I mean, technically I guess you could call them the mini wizard modes and you could technically call it the wizard mode, but hey, spoiler alert, they just award points, okay? So if you get through every mode on Stranger Things and you light the mini wizard mode, when you go ahead and start that, it awards you a shitty amount of points, and then that's it, and you get to continue. And then you go to the next mini wizard mode and you get a shitty amount of points, and then you get to continue. And then if you've done everything to get to the main wizard mode in the game, it just awards you points. So, like, as somebody who is a software developer, I don't understand it. Like, that game has a mode that is trying to be an homage to Total Annihilation, which is their Total Isolation mode. It's a multiball. It actually has some interesting rules. It's worth some good points, and it's kind of cool. Why would they not duplicate that mode, essentially? Maybe put a scoring multiplier on it and lay it into those mini wizard and wizard modes for version 0.1 or whatever the code is at now. Rather than just ripping the player off with, uh, with point awards, it doesn't make sense to me.
0: It just strikes me as being lazy. So, well, Kaylee, you know they're still at early code. They're not quite there yet. So when you offer this opinion, and others do, maybe they'll listen. Maybe there'll be some changes. Case in point, Black Knight Sword of Rage. You were at Expo Flip Out. You were seventh in that big tournament in Chicago in October, and you saw what happened when. Alexander Kazmarchuk and Escher just beat the living hell out of that premium black Knight sort of rage but they've since made some changes to that so when you offer opinions about stranger things and other games I have a feeling some of the designers some of the coders like yourself might listen and go okay yeah we gotta that's a to-do list we have to work on sure yeah and I, and I don't think I mean I'm sure
1: everything I've mentioned they already know. You know, it's it's things that they're already thinking about and already wanting to do. And it's not necessarily fair to say, Hey, why did you stub in you know, this point award for this? I mean, you know, also as somebody who's worked in similar industries and in software stuff, like there's always reasons that you're doing certain things when you're shipping software. You have all sorts of different costs away and you're always having to make hard decisions and you're trying to ship on time and you have to pick X over Y, you know. So that all makes sense. But it's tough when you know, in pinball, when people are getting these games, they're going out there, and and you know, the the, the fun of a pinball game is is the discovery of the rules, uh, the adventure of finding your path through the game, and discovering, you know, how to score well. And you know, that you only get kind of a few shots to have a player's first time hands-on with different modes or different games. And when they when they run into roadblocks that are a disappointment, that's tough to come back from. But yeah, looking at at Black Knight, I mean it's an it's, it's an exciting game because there's been other Black Knights and this is the third one, you know, just kind of like that from a high level sounds really cool. I don't think that that game has landed well, even with the even with the code updates. It's hard to put your finger on why a game is or isn't fun, but I think for for me that one comes down to the layout feels uninteresting to me, and I'm not sure that they can they can fix that in software, which is pretty rare for me to say because I actually think you can probably fix
0: any game in software. But so far, (laughs) Black Knight hasn't done it. (laughs) Black Knight has something that a lot of games are showing nowadays. And I've talked about it before, but I've never asked someone like yourself... I talk about that action button. Now, in the case of Black Knight, it's not that big of a deal. It's for Magnus Save, although I think I might have a 10% success rate on that thing (laughs) because my hand is nowhere near that when the ball needs to be done. I think of Star Wars where it's basically a video game trying to hit TIE Fighters. I'm okay on things like Jurassic Park. Big deal. You know, the ball stopped. It's a missile. No big deal. Your thoughts on buttons that are not at the side of the cabinet?
1: Yeah. It makes sense why it's there on Black Knight, right? You can't retool everything in your manufacturing line individually for each game. You know, you've already got a third button on a lock bar just sitting there on a shelf. You can use it in your game. You need a third button. Well, why not use the one on the lock bar, right? So it makes sense why they would choose to do that. I think it, I think it's an unfortunate choice for Black Knight because it's a novelty to put it there versus an actual useful thing to to the majority of players. You know, it's really it's really difficult to identify that the ball is in jeopardy, make the decision that you need a Magna save, then move your hand over to the middle of the game in time to hit that, to resurrect it. You know, that's that that's a skill that you can develop, but it's extremely difficult. And so much so that it kind of feels like a rip-off, because you almost feel like, oh, I recognized it was going to drain, and I wanted to get the Magna save, but then I didn't have the time, and it's in the middle, and it's annoying, and like, man, that just sucks. But But I think, like... There's opportunities there for that middle button to do cool things. I think it's less about it being a single action and more about it being an interesting choice for the player. I would have preferred to see that developed into something like getting a ball saved by the magna save uh is worth something really cool. And I know that there's a rule now where like if you hit the magna save button and then it rolls over the right in lane switch, uh it gives you some stuff. But it's not actually detecting whether there was a Magnusave. It's just looking for that circumstance. So you can shoot it by shooting a ramp or something and hitting the Magnusave and having it go down there and give you that stuff. But yeah, I just, I just think that you know there's opportunities to dig into the creativity of what's going on with that button and turn it into interesting choices for the player rather than um, one-off actions.
0: Well, tell me something. I know we've talked before about games that you feel should really benefit the skilled player versus some random luck. And when we were talking before about certain formats and lineups of banks, some EMs that may be all house balls certainly don't favor the skilled player, and there may be some luck. Think of volley. If you can plunge five balls on that game and not hit all three lanes up top, You're at a major disadvantage. I wonder, in the last five years, we're talking modern games right now. What are some of those games, Kayla? You think really benefit the random or lucky player versus skilled player?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I think like when you when you talk about which games are random or lucky, I think just that it takes it takes more time to determine who is the most skilled player on certain games than others so if i look at if you look at older say electromechanical games like volley those can determine who is the best player on them say in a competitive format i think just that a lot of people refer to them as lucky because if you played like one ball on them it might not be the best judge of who's of who's the best at that game but if you played a thousand balls on it that'd probably be a pretty good determining factor of, of who's the most skilled player there now on a more modern game it might not take a thousand balls it might take only 10 balls or only 3 games or something like that or whatever that's probably a an exaggeration of the disparity there
0: Do you know that's a game when I, whenever it's in a pump and dump I refuse to play it as much as I love volley I just played it in, <laughs> I played it in league the other night I put up I think 260 so a really good score And obviously in that game, I must've hit those lanes early on and then just start pegging off the targets, hopefully one at a time, as opposed to hitting two at once and not getting that extra 5,000 points. But at a pump and dump, I refuse to play it because of the, I don't want to say luck factor, but if you're not getting that center lane and maybe going up, hitting the pop and going back up and down and up and down and getting a few points that way, forget it. I look at all the scores at pump and dumps for volleys and they're all kind of one thirty is a decent score if you're playing in match play, let's say, but it might not even make the top fifty in a pump and dump absolutely,
1: yeah, and you know i mean there there's things there which like I think one of the things that makes some of those older games feel feel lucky is that um you know the the ways in which you might score big sometimes seem to come down to things that uh were not necessarily in the player's control or maybe just like physical random chance that opened up an opportunity for, for bigger scoring. Um, you know, you plunge on volley and you get some of the rollovers, but maybe you just need that one and you get some pop bumper action and it throws it up and oh m- gosh, all of a sudden on ball one you've completed all the colors, you know, and that was just through, you know, some nice chance through the pops or something like that. And I, and I think where you see some of the, the common threads with that in modern games, uh, where I think they do favor, quote unquote, some luck or require more games to determine who is is better, are are the games that have leveraged things like scoring multipliers in ways that can be activated repeatedly without player intent. So look at a game like Stern NBA. Um, You've got scoring multipliers on the MVP drop targets, which are kind of straight up the middle of the play field, and they can be hit by the ball just exiting where the plunge is and the pops. So you can have a player who's like, down against another player, they get into a multi-ball. Uh, they're about to shoot a super ball. Randomly hits MVP starts it. They weren't trying to do it. They hit the super jackpot. Everything happens to drain out at the same time. Oh look, they won by a hundred thousand points, right? And that's just because they got a double super. Were they trying to get a double super? No. <laughs> Did they just <laughs> randomly get one? Yes. And I think that's unfortunate. You know, you see, like I think one of the really cool things that uh, the guys at Stern have kind of developed over the last years is realizing how cool it is to do you know set up risk and rewarding games based on multipliers you know you see batman 66 you can like determine where you want multipliers over the all over the play field you can get play field multipliers and multipliers on top of multipliers and that gets really exciting and that's probably you know like the apex of like crazy multiplier choice uh, and then you have something like star wars where you know you're determining where you want at the play field and you're selecting which multiplier is where but at the same time, balls randomly hitting some stupid stand up grid like boost the value. Like, you can watch two players play play that game, and when somebody can be at 40x play field, and somebody can be at 2x, and they've essentially done nothing different.
0: You know, <laughs>
1: it's just like how flaily they've been against some like, stand up targets, and
0: that's bullshit. Kaylee, you've been a top player for so long, but. Do you see the end of days coming soon? Because this year you turned 40 and it's all about the youth now. Wow, ouch. <laughs> hey, you know, in disc shows,
1: I'm still relevant. So I'll just leave it at that.
0: <laughs> but what do you think about all these great young players? I mean, look at that Expo alone, the top four all under the age of 19.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think it's great. It just shows that there's um, you know, a whole new generation of players that are interested in pinball. You know, and, and pinball's great. It's not about age or, you know, sex, uh, anything, uh, race. It's, uh, you know, it's about people enjoying games, uh, playing them well. You know, and we're starting to see a lot of players from all sorts of different walks of life and age uh, in the competitive community, and I think that's really awesome. And it's really cool to see, you know, these young players who are extremely talented getting the opportunity to show off uh, their play.
0: We're definitely seeing the growth in young players. We're definitely seeing the growth in women players. And your wife, Yasmin, she is an outstanding player. I like that both of you are great players. But also, I want to point out, I really enjoy when you both are commentating.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's always fun. Commentary is great. Usually, uh, you know, I'll get on there and about 30 minutes later, the hook will come in and pull me off the microphone uh, for bagging on the gameplay too much. But
0: You were calling shots, I noticed during pin masters,
1: oh yeah, I don 't know. sometimes the sixth sense pops up, and uh, you know you're seeing ten bounces ahead. it's always nice to call it out when somebody's got about five seconds left in their ball, <laughs> yeah, but it was, you know it's a real thing like like you can watch the uh, the body language of players and sometimes when they're in certain situations where it, there's a lot of pressure. Or, uh, certain things are developing on the playfield, you can tell that they are extremely uncomfortable and out of their regular gameplay style, uh, with what's happening on the playfield. And usually that just is an indicator that their ability to execute has gone way down, and their ability to essentially problem solve on the playfield has also, uh, hit its all time low. And so usually that just is a good indicator that, uh, things are going to potentially go south
0: quickly. It's funny because those people that don't know you and maybe watch you play, they think of you as this really serious player. And obviously you're concentrating, and that's true. But to me, you're a real prankster, actually. You've got a great sense of humor. And maybe some people don't realize when you're joking and you're not joking. <laughs> I get it.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's all about having fun, right? <laughs> Yeah, I, I like goofing around. Um I love having a good time. Even during during competition, you know, keeping things lighthearted. There's a joke here in the in the Seattle pinball scene about um uh, you know, asserting dominance over another player. And uh you know, the best way to do that is when you're a, a shot away from uh, from winning a batch for somebody, you uh trap the ball up, you turn look away from the game and look at the player and you shoot the shot without looking at the playfield. Oh. <laughs> that's how you assert dominance in a match.
0: <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's that's dropping the bomb for sure. That's yeah. awesome. And you know, half the time that results in a, a break train, which is uh, <laughs> even which funnier,
1: is, which keeps the whole thing lighthearted, right? So, it's good.
0: Yeah. So the last time you were on this program, now everybody's waiting for the Kaylee exploits. We talked about who done it. We talked about Congo CSI Theater of Magic. Yes, Indy 500. Uh... Well, Indy 500, you said there was an exploit out there that no one has found. You were last on here in a full program almost two years ago. Has anybody found that exploit? No, nobody has. So <laughs> get wrecked.
1: <laughs> I still got that one in my back pocket. One of these days there's going to be uh, an intentional uh, multi ball plus uh, turbo boost in uh, some stream, and then the cat will be out of the bag. So we'll see when that happens
0: some stack right
1: yeah so come on start putting uh indy 500 in tournaments and maybe we'll see it it'd be good
0: it was at Disc, you didn't have a chance to use it there
1: the, uh, yeah yeah you know i played um i played uh indy 500 in in my qualifying run but didn't get an opportunity to uh get towards it uh in finals which was fine it's a it's actually a tough tough game to pick in finals there's kind of a lot to weigh there with you know that one was set up nice and mean and hard and tough and uh the risk of you know making sure you get to multi balls and can execute and stuff like that is can be pretty tough, uh, especially with like the Outland super wide and, and things like that. So it wasn't too high on my list of picks.
0: Have you dropped an exploit since uh, we last talked in the summer of 2018?
1: No, I don't think
0: so. I mean, gosh,
1: there's there's
0: been a lot of nice new games, but uh, mm. maybe you're running out.
1: Stern's doing a good job of uh, validating everything the moment you plunge out of the uh, out of the shooter land. So. <laughs> but there's uh there's still some out there.
0: I noticed that with Keith too, especially on Iron Maiden, on some of the secret skill shots too, even if you just hold up a flipper. It's gone. I thought that was pretty clever. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think it's good. I I like it. It's good times. I think like I think there's something just to be learned kind of from like a game development standpoint that what's interesting about, you know, kind of some of the more goofier exploits on games like Playing with Valid play field on Jackpot or, you know, some of these other ones. It's, it's, it's less about, like, you know, the fun there isn't coming from uh, the fact that it's, like, an unintended way to play the game. The fun's coming there because there's a really interesting strategy that the player can come up with and that there's clear rules around how they can execute it. And there's potentially big payoffs or rewarding payoffs for, for doing things that aren't necessarily front and center in the game. And, I, you know, I think that's really fun. You know, you've, there's been games in the past where there's been unintentional scoring opportunities that have been coded out later, and, later and, the, and the games have gotten worse for it. Like, absolutely. Like, I don't even think you can argue. Like, look at 24, for example. It wasn't necessarily something that took a lot of knowledge to pull off, but the nuke jackpot in that game used to be huge, and that was based on uh, some error where it would build over time across multiple games rather than being reset at the start of each match. And that actually made that game super fun. It was extremely hard to get the nuke jackpot. And when you did, it was super valuable, and it would build even more for the next one. And it made the game, like, awesome. And then it got nerfed down to a value where it's not interesting at all, and the game is super boring. Like, it was really the only redeeming factor of that game was the nuke jackpot. <laughs> and not the callouts. <laughs> yeah, the callouts that suck and are one of the worst of all time. <laughs> yeah, you also got that going, too. I'm not sure why, like most games don't literally look to attack from mars as like the poster child for like amazing multi-ball call outs and do that like the player wants the game to scream and get excited
0: and it should do that <laughs> i recently had seron on who does a lot of those modified roms and what do you think of his mods and also what is missing that needs to be fixed because of exploits we don't know about yet you got to give us some goods here
1: yeah. For the most part I think I dislike the ROMs that he's done. What? Yeah, I, I like uh when he's fixed very clear like bugs, like detrimental bugs like Okay. Stuff like bonus on this game doesn't score the same for all the players, things like that, you know. Place where maybe you would get in a state where a mode won't start because X, Y, and Z and now it just works the way it should. Or the game can get in a bad state with unlimited ball save, and now that's no longer a possibility. You know, just really game-breaking so game bugs, those things are nice. In a number of cases, a lot of those mods basically are just like, hey, I've fixed this game, quote-unquote fixed, by changing all these rules, right? And that's cool as like just
0: like a, a side ROM or an interesting experiment. But aren't they done for equal playing fields? Like something like Radical, too, so that it's the same for everyone? Yeah,
1: so so that's, you know, there, there's stuff like that, like, again, like giving the option for a
0: ROM where there's a fixed jackpot or something. That's cool. That's fine. No problem with that. What about sudden death on roller games? Because, I mean, that's not fair if somebody gets sudden death and the other person doesn't.
1: Yeah, sure. You know, that's cool. Let's, let's just say that anything that uh, reduces uh, randomness in a game, fine. That's great. Good. But when you're talking about, like, essentially saying that this game is bad... And we've changed the rules so that scoring strategy X, Y, or Z is no longer as valuable because of personal opinion. And it's been changed in certain ways. Let's look at Theater of Magic, right? It's like, oh, shooting the left orbit has been determined as a strategy that is not interesting to certain people. So now there's a ROM floating around out there where that's been changed. Okay, But not only has that been changed, like a number of other things going on in the game have been changed. And it just it's just boring. And also, I think there's there's something to be said about, you know, there's enough games out there that are competitive in all sorts of different ways. Some games kind of require you to do, quote-unquote, the thing to really blow it up or, you know, to be competitive.
0: Okay, what about newer games? They're doing updates all the time and scoring changes on things. I mean, you look at a game like Ghostbusters and Game of Thrones, those recent code updates really change the game entirely.
1: Yeah, and, and I, you know, I think that's fine. That's just iteration on a on a product, you know, by a designer. I mean, let's look at this example. There, there was a funny, you know, you can look through the old uh, rec.game.pinball archives chats, and people would always discuss Whitewater. And they would talk about how 5x playfield on Whitewater has a bug. And they would say, when you get 5x playfield and you shoot the multi-ball lock to start multiball, the timer's counting down in the background, and that's a bug. So when... I start the multi-ball at 20 seconds, and then by the time it serves the ball to the upper flipper, I've only got 12 seconds left. This is the worst bug ever. It's like, really? Like, are you sure? Because to me, that just seems like part of the fallout of, like, the risk and reward of how that game was. Maybe it wasn't intentional by the programmer, but maybe the programmer also just didn't care, because you could be burning those seconds to do something else. You could be going for Bigfoot Hotfoot, you could be going for river raft awards at five x, but no, you decided to go for multi ball, and with multi ball comes the price of burning a number of seconds off your five x multiplier, right? So it, it, there's been ROM updates that people have done where it's like that doesn't happen, or there's a ball save for X Y or Z, and it's, and and it's been touted as like a fix for the ROM, and it's just like things like that. Who cares? Like the game works fine. You know, And that's actually a good example where one of those ROM updates actually made it when you hit the Bigfoot hot foot targets. There was this chance where the game could reset. You know, So all these people were putting this ROM out in tournaments for a while there, and then games were resetting under really weird circumstances. So it was almost like this, this update was infecting the pinball community.
0: <laughs> well, ROM updates aside, I think what we've just learned from that is uh, not about the different variations of the games. Kaylee, do you do character voices? That was quite an impression there. <laughs> I do do voice acting here and there. That is true. Okay, you got to give us some exploits. People are waiting. Oh
1: gosh, yeah. I don't.
0: Uh, yeah. Earn your pay, kid. There was a good one on Monsters, but they fixed that, right? Yeah, that's right. I should stop. Uh, I should stop telling people about the goods
1: and all the good exploits that are out there. There was a great one on Munsters where uh, you know you light these super jackpots at the uh, at the collect on the left, and when you shoot it in there, you have an opportunity to cancel it by holding down the lock bar button because. Uh, you know uh you may want to stack more supers which makes them more valuable and wait till later to collect them well there was an exploit where you could uh shoot it in there and if you held down the button and canceled it at the right time they would remain active but you would still get their reward (laughs) so you could
0: collect them seriously yeah
1: yeah so
0: okay that's been fixed but how did you know when that perfect time was well, I don't know. He programmed games enough, <laughs> you, you
1: you you come to recognize areas where there might be uh, you know, some wiggle room and things. Usually people are basing stuff like scoring events. Well, sometimes people are basing things like scoring events off like animations when those are completing. Ah, you know, you you need to put checks in there for different things and uh, yeah, there was something about where the way the the animations were all running on there where it seemed suspect that there might be a a window of opportunity to uh to let that collect and also kill it, then sure enough, it was there.
0: You know what you remind me of? You remind me of that movie Catch Me If You Can, where that guy, a true story where the guy was, he was finding weaknesses in banks or whatever and the forging and all that kind of stuff. And then finally, the government hired the guy to fix everything. That's going to be you. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I
1: I, I just really, I think what I enjoy most about those type of opportunities in games is really just the discovery of interesting strategy in pinball. And, you know, it doesn't have to be an exploit or something unintended, but I think that's what makes a lot of games really fun is being able to kind of look at the rule set and figure out the things that you think are best when you uh, weigh risk and reward and, you know, come up with your strategy about how to execute there. You know, there's something interesting actually about, I, I, I can't really put my finger on with Iron Maiden. I think it's a really good game that Keith put together. I really like the rules. I like the play field. I like everything there. There's something about that game where it's extremely well balanced. I think kind of outside of going for like world record, like huge, amazingly crushing scores, like if you kind of choose an avenue on which you want to execute in that game, it's going to be effective towards getting a very good score. You know, like if you're plowing through modes, you're going to get to two minutes to midnight, and that's going to give you a lot of scoring opportunity. If you're stacking modes with multiballs, that's going to give you a good amount of scoring opportunity. If you're just shooting stuff on the playfield, you're going to get towards a really good multiball by completing all the power items. There's kind of no bad choices in that game as long as you're shooting shots. And that's actually kind of funny. I found that I think I enjoy that game less because... It's hard to choose something that I think is better to do than the rest.
0: You think there's less strategy? I think what makes the game great is though it still requires amazing skill. It does. I still think there is strategy.
1: It's different and for some reason I haven't quite mastered it on that game.
0: So I think my 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 parachute there is just shoot loops and that's good enough. <laughs> Way to poke the bear, Kaylee. I'm dying to see the next time you and Keith play each other. Oh, well, he'll just destroy me (laughs) as usual. So eh, I don't know what my winning average is versus him,
1: but I think he beats me 8-1 to or something. So that's fine.
0: Join the club. (laughs) Although although most of us don't have the one. Anyway, all right, let's talk some other exploits. One of the all-time greatest games ever, you see it on the top five of Pinside, if not at the top sometimes, Monster Bash. All right, what's up with Monster Bash, Kaylee? All right, so Monster Bash has kind of
1: an amazing exploit in it, which is really fun. It does give you a s- pretty substantial amount of extra points, but it's not completely game-breaking. So, you know, in Monster Bash, you have the different characters from Universal, and you're kind of like starting each monster mode. Uh, and if you started all the monster mode, you get to play Bash, which is a good multiball. It's kind of the mini-wizard mode. And if you played all the monsters and gotten their instrument, well, you get to play Monsters of Rock, which is the big wizard mode where all the monsters play music and you get a bunch of points. Okay, so so it's possible to have some of the instruments and have played all of the characters, uh, and then you can go play Bash. And then uh, when you do that, uh, it's possible to kind of finish the instruments during that and then transition to rock. So... With Frankenstein's character, he plays a multiball, and you need to bash him enough times to collect his keyboard. Well, if the multiball is over and the keyboard has not been collected, then Frankenstein will give you an opportunity to kind of, like, continue his mode in single-ball play to try and give you a last-chance opportunity to get that keyboard. Well, the game state you can set up is play every monster except Frankenstein. Which is weird. Normally you stack that. Yeah, so you play every monster except Frankenstein. And then what you do is you have Frankenstein be your last monster to play, and you start Frankenstein, and you get him close to completing his keyboard, but you don't complete it on purpose. You trap a ball up, and you dump all the other balls in the drain. Now, what's going to happen is multiball's going to end, Bash is going to light at the scoop, but also Frankenstein's going to open up and say, hey, don't you want to finish your keyboard? So you shoot it up that ramp, It starts the last chance for Frankenstein. Before you complete that keyboard, you dump it in the scoop for Bash. Now, the state that happens there is, a lot of people don't know, but you can collect multiple keyboards during Frankenstein's multiball. Well, now you've stacked last chance Frankenstein with Bash, which means that for the totality of Bash, you can collect as many keyboards as you want. So you can jack the number of keyboards way up. Then when you go into Rock later on, you get an extra payoff of $5 per keyboard. And you get a big payday.
0: Holy cow.
1: So you want to
0: see how you get 35 keyboards in Monster Bash. That's how you do it. (laughs) I can't believe that hasn't come out in all the years that Monster Bash has been around. But I guess it's because people go for that Frankenstein right off the bat to try to stack it with Wolf or something.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and there's, uh, you know, kind of there's not... uh, People are getting pretty good at kind of eliminating a lot of the big exploits, but there's some fun stuff that's been left in in a lot of games, uh, even some of the new ones that lets you get into... There's some like very rare opportunities where you can stack different things with stuff that normally seem like they can't stack. Like on Batman 66, you can stack your TV wizard modes with villain escape, which seems impossible to do up front, But under the right circumstances, you can make it happen. And actually, uh, Raymond Raymond Davidson figured this one out, which is great. And I'm sure other people have as well. But the way that works is you've got TV wizard mode. You need to complete uh, a TV mode from each season. And when you do that, it lights the left orbit for a wizard mode and villain escape uh, you complete all the villains the major villains and it lights a mode up left orbit that's big what you can do is you can set up your tv wizard modes the last thing you're playing is egghead from season two which is uh, a mode that you can complete or set up to complete by pressing the button on the lock bar and you can start that mode then complete your last major villain set up villain escape on the left orbit start that during the first stage of Villain Escape, you can complete your Egghead by hitting the action button, and then you can complete the final shot and start your TV Wizard more to left orbit. And now you stacked it with Villain Escape. So enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Although there's a, the the debate is actually whether it's better to just stack that Egghead with Villain Escape. That's how you get like hundred billion Egghead collects. So. <laughs> I had a funny discussion once with somebody running tournaments. And I said, oh, this game's not in tournament mode. And they said, what do you mean it's not in tournament mode? And I'm like, well, the awards aren't random in this. It's clearly not in tournament mode. And they're like, but I turned off extra balls. And I'm like, but did you turn on tournament mode? And they're like, yes, with like a weird smile. And I'm like, well, let's check it out. And so we go into the menu, and I go to a tournament on off and they're like what's that and i'm like that's tournament mode like there's people that like you know are running a lot of events and don't understand yet you know all the technical details of setting up machines and stuff like that And that's totally cool because you know it takes a while to learn all this different stuff but they'll see online somebody post like this is the tournament rom or something like that just be like oh well i guess i should be using this in tournaments because it's the tournament rom right but the decision making behind it or something might not be might not be clear to them. So I've seen a lot of events where people are just like, oh well we got the latest the latest whatever for this, because it's a thing. And it's like, but you know this, this, and this, and they're like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs>
0: yep. So. so I'm not sure whether or not we'll see any of these exploits coming up at uh, future tournaments when they may happen, but I know there are formats you certainly love. You've talked at end about loving the pop-a-ticket format. Is there one that you're not a big fan of the format? Yeah, that's a good question. I pretty much
1: like most of the major formats out there. You know, some people um, will say that uh some formats are less competitive or favor players with deeper pockets. That's usually what's said about a pump and dump tournament, but when you look at the stats and the results, players that usually do well in one format pretty much are doing well in the other formats. So, I think most of the major formats out there, Papa style, pump and dump, long match play tournaments. You know, those are all all, all nice and competitive. The ones that I don't like, or the one that I don't like, are short, very constrained four player match play tournaments. Usually, those consist of like players are put into four player groups, and you play on a game, and it's one game, and you get points, and you do that for like five to seven games for the whole qualifying. And then people qualify and play head to head or more match play or something like I think like like seven games of match play is a total joke. That's like as if like we decided to decide who qualifies at pinberg after two and a half rounds or two rounds,
0: you know, like <laughs> that seems ridiculous. In that scenario, are you talking about that match play being set up Swiss or the better players play the better players or random, which I find you can get lucky depending on who you play. Uh yeah, I I've played I've played both ways. Most of the ones I seem to encounter are set up to Swiss style where you're playing
1: the players that have a closer point total to yourself. But I don't I don't think it really matters. I just think with that amount of data, so to speak, it's less conclusive and there's a lot more value placed on the random picks of game in that event because you're not necessarily going to play all the games usually at a location there and some players are going to align with more or less playable games. Usually formats like that are run on locations and not at a dedicated weekend tournament that's being set up. And so that often means that there are games in various states of disrepair. So you get on a game that's just funky or broken in some way, maybe even just minor, and that all adds up to making that experience, I think, less desirable.
0: You want to talk about a format where you play random games, that would be Flip Frenzies, which are really huge. Have you played many of those? I have never played flip, flip Frenzy. I remember it being discussed, and I've read about it. it, it you know, I don't
1: know if this is the case, but the only place I ever heard of it being played in the past was in like Japan. And then now I hear people playing it around here, and I just don't see the appeal. Like It seems like the biggest... Like, I don't know, just like, I don't know, donut of a tournament.
0: Like, you just, like, spam games and then somebody wins? Like, Jesus. Like, I don't know. Uh, Yeah, I can get what you're describing. I find the perfect Flip Frenzy match, dedicated time, and probably a minimum of two and a half hours. Okay. Okay, and then you have to have a playoff format. Have to, have to, have to. Because, unlike Swiss, you could be playing whomever. You could be playing whatever machine and playing that several times. If there's a mix of newer and older games, you might be stuck on a newer game. Like imagine you and Zach Sharp playing Batman 66, both playing long game. Well, you guys might be on there for 45 minutes while other people have played eight games. Yeah, I just think like like, like pinball should celebrate playing pinball,
1: right? One of the reasons that the Whopper system is designed the way it is, is that it intentionally tries to make sure that there are none to very few reasons why anybody would ever choose not to play a tournament right like you don't want it to be that like if you do poorly you are damaged in the ranking system right and then people decide not to play it's really interesting in flip frenzy like that there is a point in a game where you decide to dump and stop playing because you don't want to play this match anymore you want to move on to another one like what i don't know that's
0: Kayleigh. You're the kind of person who would never, ever, ever concede ever because you know what you have in your skill set. Other people might play in a flip frenzy and see what somebody does on ball one and go, um, that's my all time high score, I can never beat that. But that's you know, maybe a defeatist attitude, but it, it is also a reality, and especially given that type of format where you're not rewarded for the more games you play because you still have to win versus lose. But getting stuck on a long playing game that you know is a loss, yeah. Sometimes it's best to count your losses there and move on.
1: Yeah, there's just like there's just too much like weird gaming of the format going on there. And, and admittedly, I have not played it. But you know, reading through the formats and watching how they've played out, I mean, you know, are are people doing stuff like aligning themselves in line with bad players? You're dumping games against good players. Like I don't know. There's like way too much
0: like strategy going on outside of actually playing pinball versus somebody else it just doesn't appeal to me i do two things we hide the standings and also hide the queue so you don't know who's up next yeah that's a good way to do it and again the playoffs but i think you'll try it one of these days i'll be curious to hear when you do try it but uh i look forward to seeing you soon i can't thank you enough for coming on the program it's been great talking to you for an hour here and hope everything goes well for you buddy Hey, thanks for chatting. It's been great being on. And uh, yeah, have fun. This has been your Pinball Profile. You can find our group on Facebook. We're also on Twitter at Pinball Profile. Email us pinballprofile at gmail.com. Please subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. And check us out on Instagram at Pinball Profile. I'm Jeff Teolas.
1: Like and subscribe.